Welcome to the New York Now podcast, a modern wholesale market for retailers and specialty buyers seeking diversity and discovery. Gathering twice a year in America's design capital, New York City, it's where buyers and designers unearth a refreshed and dedicated collection of eclectic lifestyle products. Hi, listeners. My name is Morgan Fowler, Program Manager for Harlem Park to Park, and a big thank you to New York Now for inviting me to moderate for their Our Community, Your Voices podcast series. Harlem Park to Park is a community-based organization in our historic Harlem, New York City. We are a network of small business owners and entrepreneurs dedicated to the cultural preservation, economic, and community development in Harlem. One of the programs I manage is our Harlem Local Venture Program, an 11-month business accelerator program designed to help Harlem businesses producing locally made products succeed in our retail space. And this is where I met our guest today. I have the absolute pleasure of introducing you to our special guest, Jessica Spaulding, the founder and CEO of Harlem Chocolate Factory. Fascinatingly enough, Jessica grew up in an anti-sugar home, but there was one exception to this rule, chocolate, high quality chocolate. Her mother knew the higher the quality of the chocolate, the lower the sugar and the better the flavor. They would attend every chocolate show and learn about chocolate from around the world, but she always felt something was missing. She tempered her first batch of chocolate at 10 years old and dreamed of owning her own chocolate factory. Merging her passion for chocolate with her love of Harlem is an experience she now gets to share with the world. So please join me in welcoming Jessica. Hi, yes. Hi. Hey. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. god, this is amazing. When you hear your uh your bio being read, you're like, oh wow, that's <laughs> yeah. <what is> that? <laughs> I know. And then when I when I read that you would attend chocolate shows, I was like, that's a fantasy. I can make a reality. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a thing. It's a thing. Good, good, good. So how are you doing? Doing well. I'm doing well. You know, we've gotten through 2020. We're going, we're going, I'm dipping my toe in 2021. I'll, I'll figure out how I feel about it in a, in a few months. I'm going to, we're going to take it day by day. This is a new brand new relationship I have with this year. <laughs> yes. Amen to that. Okay. So let's start some things. Let's start this off. Tell us about yourself. And your journey to becoming a chocolatier. What is that? What is a chocolatier? Yeah. So, I mean, a chocolatier is basically a, a chef of chocolate, you know, and, and a person who understands chocolate. Although chocolate itself has, it is one of the most difficult and complex ingredients on this mm. planet. Okay. Uh, and while also being the one of the most difficult to to work with chocolate has a mind of it's a very fickle fickle being the right humidity (laughs) it needs the right temperature it is as much i'm as much a a chef of chocolate as i am a scientist so Mm, it's one of those things that i get to form all all the nerd parts of myself and all the 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 months spent watching bill nye the science guy and food network at the same time 
Yeah, I know. I think a lot of people, when they think about chocolate, they just think of it in like its sweet form or in cookies or in brownies and desserts and cakes. But like you can make mole, you know, there are savory dishes you can make with chocolate. It's, you know, as you say, it's versatile. Um, Why was chocolate okay in your household as opposed to anything else? So with my mom, it was chocolate was a vice that she had. And and for me growing up, I she was very, very strict on uh, and being health conscious mm-hmm. and making sure she conveyed what the difference between like snacking and then treating yourself. And just because you are treating yourself doesn't mean you have to eat kind of what she would look at as like garbage foods and, you know, things with just exorbitant amounts of sugar and and, and Mm -hmm. things of that nature but with chocolate itself and very very high quality chocolate you're you're not eating a bunch of sugar you're not you're not eating these things so Mm -hmm. you know dark chocolate is is the combination of the cacao solids and very minimal sugar and the cocoa butter so there's so many experiences that go into that and even when you get to milk chocolate it's still, you know, the, the thing that gives milk chocolate, it's sweet flavor is more Mm. the milk than the sugar. Uh And, um, and for her that it was very important for her, for me to understand that as a child, I hated it. You know, I had an aunt that had multiple, you know, she had a lot of kids and it wasn't, it wasn't the same. There were pop tarts over there and, you know, juicy juice and all of that. (laughs) Not in my house. We had carrot juice and maybe some orange juice. So I, I kind of clung to chocolate in the hopes of like, I always enjoyed cooking, but I'm like, if I get to work just with the sweets, Mm -hmm. then I can eat the things that I'm creating. And that's not how it worked out. She would allow me to have one piece of whatever I made. And <laughs> then the rest of them would have to be given out. So I, my neighbors loved us uh-huh. you know, growing up. But um, it was one of those like kind of child mentality. Like, oh, I'm going to be able to eat chocolate. And, and it wasn't the case. Wow. And your mother, did she make, she made chocolate? No, she was a, a lover of chocolate. You would okay. call her like, okay. you know. There are certain people who love wines and there are people who love, you know, beers and cheeses and everything. And for her, it was specifically chocolate. And so when she was like, all right, you like playing with chocolate and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a, it's not a cheap hobby to get into as a kid. Mm -hmm. Mm And she was like, you know what, if you want to learn this, I'm going to take you to the best of this best. And that's how we started going to chocolate shows. And so she took me to the Salon du Chocolat, which is this international show that started to come to New York and it is where you could taste chocolate from around the world. It's, it's where the dream started going, attending those shows. What I would do is how they used to set up the, the, the show, it would be by country or region, you know, Mm -hmm. and you'd walk through the show and you kind of start in Europe and you like, maybe there'd be a table for like an Italian chocolatier. And okay. then you keep walking in and there'll be like a French and there'll be like, you know, 30 French companies, <laughs> but mm-hmm. then there'll be like a British company. And then there, you know, you just go through Europe for whoever like was there to represent Europe. Then you keep walking and you, you start to walk through Asia and you see a company like I remember this company from uh, they were from Mumbai. 
Mm. And they had a table and all of their truffles were rolled in like different like curries, very turmeric, you know, turmeric infused kind of ganaches. Mm. And then there was like this, then you keep walking. There was this Japanese company and uh, I was, I think I was about 10 or 11 and I had one of the, uh, one of the truffles and it was covered in uh, matcha. You know, Ooh, it was called yes. green tea back then. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> and I ate it, and it was like this. I mean, it was the most perfectly cubed truffle that you could ever see in your life. And their 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 packaging was like these perfect, like rectangles that each truffle fit into, and it was like everything was like regimented and perfect, and mm. and. Uh, in these squares and everything like the right angles and I tasted the truffle and it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen for me as an 11 year old <laughs> who's like looking for like just a, a quick you know sugar fix yeah it was such an odd flavor for me mm-hmm. but it was in one moment the single most Japanese experience I had uh, ever had in my life up until that moment, right? Like, wow. I, you wouldn't have got me to eat sushi as a kid. It just yeah. wasn't, it wasn't a thing that, mm-hmm. that, that I liked. But I loved the fact that in that moment, I was like transported to Japan. Mm. And then as I started to go from table to table, I started to understand that I was having cultural experiences. It was as I, you know, the years went on and we went every single year and we would yeah. go to local ones and like with mom and pop tables. Mm-hmm. And it was from there that I realized like, well, that was it. Well, where's my culture? Yes. That's where it, it got planted at. Okay. And you walking through these spaces, you having these very like sent this very sensory cultural experience. What? And what was it that you thought was missing then? It was your culture. Yeah, it was just, it was just, you know, the, 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 the flavor profiles that spoke to me, you know, there'd be people there and you would see them. They would, they would jump out of their skin because they had, you know, like a piece of marzipan. And it's like, these were the, the, the experiences that brought them back to their childhoods. And I'm walking through like, well, where the sweet potato pie? So I could think of it. And, and you know, like, I, I, you know, I want to have that while mm-hmm. I'm here. Like, this is this is this is my family thing. Like, you know, like me and my mom are doing this every year. She's, you know, working. My mother's a operating engineer, and it was like she worked long, long, long hours. And it was me and her. And then eventually, my little brothers. But for a long time, it was just me and her. And it was just like us and that was our thing and so you start to see people having these experiences with food and um that is that's the kind of foundation of it for me beautiful jessica are you born and raised in harlem yes ma'am okay yes so you are you are a black woman born and raised Mm. in harlem yep Mm. yep you opened your chocolate factory in Harlem. I mean, that in and of itself is a cultural stamp. You know, it's something to be celebrated. And then you opened up your storefront and the historic, the legendary Strivers Row in 2018. I mean, I have goosebumps right now. Like, no, the, the weight know? of that is the weight of that is not lost on me. I remember I was on the 
I was on the bus <laughs> in Brooklyn, like mm-hmm. coming from a job that not that I was losing for anything, you know, that I had done, but the business was just closing. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just like, you know, I've been thinking of chocolate, like wanting to do my chocolate shop and wanting to do it and wanted to, you know, kind of speak to my culture. And I was just so, so, so terrified to represent Harlem and feel like, do I, have I even earned the right? Like, even though I lived there my whole life, like, have I earned the right to to do mm. something? And I was like, you know what? I think if I always honor Harlem rather mm. than exploit it, then the people will know that this is something done f- for them and um, and for the community. Like, I've done this for for all of us and mm-hmm. if somebody else thinks that they can do it better whatever then they can open the harlem chocolate company and you know whatever um, yes and uh for i remember that started with three chocolate bars and one was called the champagne on strivers row and then there was another <laughs> one mango del barrio and then like the ode to pam pam but the the champagne on strivers row is the first bar i started with to to then find a location after going through the trenches to even get a location, mm-hmm. it was like I was in shock when the space became available. Like, no, this is like y'all lying to me. Like, what's yeah. the <laughs> like even sometimes I, know, I still have to pinch myself about how that came full circle. That I literally started with Strivers Row, mm-hmm. and like all of my initial business plan had pictures of Strivers Row all over it. And so to mm, open wow. on Strivers Row was was amazing. Look at that manifestation. That's, Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So you opened up in Strivers Row. It's been said that your artisanal chocolate conveys the cultural experiences of Harlem. I know you just mentioned, you know, the yeah. sweet potato pie, the champagne on mm. Strivers Row. Expand upon that a little bit for us. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's it, it's super easy for me. Like, the the way I see it is I am taking what experiences I have had and infusing them either into our recipes, our packaging, and um, into the general experience of our business, right? Like, what does Harlem feel like? Like, Harlem mm. is still in Manhattan. There are people who believe that Harlem is its own separate island you know when you when you leave yeah. the city they don't understand that Harlem's a part <laughs> of Manhattan but what makes it feel so different once you cross 110th street and mm. so what we really try to do is just embody that in either the way we operate into yes. how we're doing things and even what things we're doing you know like we do have these kind of like signature uh truffles and signature pieces that speak specifically to uh you know some parts of the african-american experience but we definitely harlem has is its own kind of melting pot and it's a very like all around new york each neighborhood is like it's it's one culture in that neighborhood mm-hmm. in harlem from from block to block you're i mean it's it's dramatic and how expansive the experiences kind of um like all interweave with one another you'll find people up here from the south you'll find people from the caribbean africa like and every in the, the limitless amount of countries that there are and then you you find this diasporic uh experience that i think sometimes we ourselves kind of take it for granted mm-hmm. and so we are just trying to provide 
a platform that infuses those experiences with chocolate. Oh my gosh, you worded it so perfectly. <laughs> this little diaspora right here in Upper Manhattan. And I'm glad you brought up the diaspora because now I want to kind of ask you a little bit something differently. Um, in one of our more recent meetings, we were discussing ways in which we could bring the Black culinary world to light and shed light on not only in America, but throughout the African diaspora. And you had mentioned something in that meeting that I thought was, well, something, one, I did not know, and two, something that was, it's very important. And you had said that, you know, 60% of the world's cocoa beans come from Ghana and Ivory Coast. But African farmers that harvest this crop have very little to show for it. Can you speak a little bit more on that? And maybe, yeah. like, how does that influence you? Yeah, I mean, well, it's like 60% comes from the, the that, like that West African belt. And up to 80% of mm -hmm. the beans come from the continent in general. And so um, <sighs> when you start to understand that there are, there are certain countries in which people who live within the country cannot purchase beans to start their own chocolate companies in their own country, it, it, it impacts you in a way that you realize like, all right, how do we build a company? that doesn't take advantage of this already inequitable mm. uh, industry. Yeah. And so for me, it was very, very important that I kind of join that fight in whatever way that we could. Mm -hmm. If it was something where for the initial part of our business before we could specifically make our chocolate ourselves, uh -huh. really researching the companies that we deal with. Like I, we have extraordinarily strict guidelines internally on how we purchase chocolate and what companies we will deal with and which companies we won't. And if you do want to deal with us, even though we are these little, <laughs> these, this little <laughs> team, uh, you know, that's, that's not doing much. I think building it in now and not having those compromises now okay. can set us up to have a platform to really engage and in, in these conversations, I know for myself, I'm a recent member of the Fine Chocolate Industry Association mm -hmm. and been working throughout COVID on a task force to address these inequities. Mm -hmm. And um, I also work with like three other <laughs> programs, that, like the Social Justice Association or the Chocolate Association. It's, there's a, a few other institutes out of Harvard. Um, all working on the social justice aspect of the chocolate industry, specifically starting with the fine chocolate industry as the fine chocolate industry kind of like sets the tone for what should, is regarded as chocolate throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And um, and so those things are important. They, they just wouldn't, it would be like me old owning a a fashion line knowing people were enslaved with cotton I, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to sleep and even there are parts of me that's still like mm -hmm. I I pray and hope that each piece that I touch is not helping to support something that disenfranchises um people that look like me 
And, yes. and even if they didn't look like me, I, I don't want to buy clothes from people who I wouldn't care if a person was purple. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want anyone to experience the, the wrongs and ills of trafficking and slavery and, and, and just the general taking advantage of a, you know, like that is just not <clears throat> something that, that sits right with me. You know, I've been fighting for things since I was a little kid trying to get on the, uh, the, the the school council and student councils, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, you know those are those are aspects that I wanted to build in, and 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 any time I'm given a platform, you going you going, I'm a I'm a dedicate five minutes of it to addressing this topic because I don't think people really understand. You know, you pick yes. up a a candy bar at the store and you're just like, I'm excited, I'm okay, mm-hmm. but then you start Absolutely. taking a second to really mm-hmm. understand. Like, okay, wait, where did all this come from? Mm-hmm. How many people are hurt by this yes. five second piece of joy? And and I didn't want anyone to have that. Imagine how guilty you would feel if you knew that a, <clears throat> a, a child was sacrificed for your candy bar. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't want anyone to experience that with us. And I don't want to help support that process. So I really... I mean, we in it for the long haul. It's a lot of it's a lot of meetings and a lot of zooms. But um, you yeah. know, I actually go to Ghana at the end of this year to, to start mm-hmm. trying to uh, work with some chocolatiers on the ground and, and, and doing a few other programs. And and you know, you know, we're not separate in our fight. Human decency is 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 a is a global issue. I'm really looking forward to this, you know, this awakening of the way in which we buy things. You know, I've noticed that a lot of people have on their website, like links to transparent supply chain, you know, and it's important. I I mean, you said it so wonderfully. It is important. Um, You know, you just can't buy blind anymore. Not when we are so in tune with one another with social media. You know, we are globalization is real. It's happening. We're at the height of it. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, You've also mentioned scaling and a desire to create opportunities in small town communities in upstate New York. What does that look like? So for us, when it when we uh, started and things happened for us very, very, very quickly. I, I mean, it doesn't feel like it when you're in it. It feels like, oh my God, we're never going to grow. But uh, we always knew there'd be a part where we'd have to address scale. And you can run the models all day. And mm. what was happening was we were realizing if we kept a production kitchen specifically in Harlem, uh, I mean, we would always have, you know, retail locations in Harlem, and that was always the goal to have as many as possible. What we would have to do is each time we got a new retail location, we'd wind up having to build a kitchen because uh, wholesale space and, I mean, like manufacturing space is just mm-hmm. way too expensive to ever have products that could ever compete <laughs> in anyone's uh, grocery store, store, gift shop internet it wouldn't matter yeah and so um but then it's also if we if we if we do that do we then have to have all automated machinery because we 
can't afford to to hire anyone. We're we're you know if we're spending forty eight dollars a square foot, mm-hmm. um, how are we going to have any money to pay people? And I and I believe in living wages. Um, I I was a person who lived in New York and and had to be paid and 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 also like feed people and myself and then occasionally do things like take baths and, and buy food. Um, and so mm-hmm. not having a living wage is, is a, is a real thing. Um, so I'm like, you know, how do we, how do we do that and how do we create the most impact? And so what we started to realize is that there were a lot of like small town communities in upstate New York that, uh, completely with, with this kind of like deindustrialization have these vacant manufacturing spaces and large manufacturing spaces that are vacant and people who are struggling to make ends meet and, um, and having to accept like little to no hourly rate jobs, you know, where they're maybe catching five hours for the week in work. Um, and so we realized that if we took a, a, a lower rent space and, a smaller town community, we could have a, a larger impact on that community. And, um, and it's, it's probably going to be a model that, that we stick with. And then the more products we create, we can now offer people higher paying jobs in the city as, as managers and, and, and actual salespeople rather than, okay, yeah, you're going to have to make you know, two, two bones an hour because Mm -hmm. we're trying to pay the rent now, Mm -hmm. you know, with this plethora of products that have been made, you know, in a place that now the money can go to the people rather than to to cover the the space. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it just made more sense for us. So that's what we're in the process of now. Wonderful. I would love if we could go back again, and I'm sure our listeners would love to learn about your process and the need to tell a story through flavor. Tell us one of your favorite spices or anything that you like yeah. create with. So my my favorite specific spice to work with is when I was when I was making the um, the mangoes del barrio bar, and and that was the one that really kind of got into like that experiential part of what I was trying to convey mm-hmm. with Harlem Chocolate Factory. Cause I grew up at like in lower Harlem in between the East and the West side. Okay. And um, so that means what East side Spanish Harlem. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of like programs and stuff. I, I worked on, on, you know, on the East side Grew up, friends on the east side, 116th Street was a summertime uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you don't realize it's a cultural experience, but mm. getting a mango on a stick uh, is a cultural experience. And when yes. you went from different, when you went from different carts, the chili that you were offered changed as you went to different cart, depending on the country of origin of the person like pushing the cart. Yes. And um, when I wanted to recreate that experience, uh, I fell in love with the way that Chile de Arbol, like how that mm. chili specifically interacts with mango and with chocolate. So it became this thing where when you bit into the bar, 
you tasted the chocolate and you tasted the mango and people would be like, this isn't spicy at all. Like, I don't even, yeah. like, how are you conveying? You know, everybody was like, mm. that, that, that initial two years of criticism, like, I mean, a mango, a chocolate, like, you just don't get it. And then they uh, eat one piece and they're like, I can yeah. taste the mango and the chocolate, but I don't taste any heat. And then mm. they eat another piece. I don't taste any heat. And then by that third piece, the way that Chile de Audible, like the way that that flavor um, kind of unfolds and it hits you, yeah. uh, then it was like, oh, oh my God. Now they're having <laughs> yeah experience. And so it was one of those, it was, it was the one I had the most fun, right? Like trying to figure out how not to kind of kill people mm-hmm. <laughs> while also providing this kind of like fun and unique um mouth experience uh and and having it balanced and so that was that's that's gonna still be the kind of like key to my heart there i love that i love the way you built up that flavor profile yeah so well that's that's amazing yeah i mean i I, again i grew up eating chocolate from 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 all over the world and so you really get, you have an experience when you eat chocolate, whether you recognize it or not. Like we kind of, desen- I think more Americans kind of like desensitize themselves because we're, we work so much that mm. we don't get to have like experiences of the things that we like. So we don't really experience them. We consume them and we kind of keep it moving because we got too much to do. Yes. Um, but when you have a second and you like really experience things, that was what I realized. I'm like, okay, let's build that in as the core of our business on the chocolate side. Cause I didn't want it to be all experience. And then you open up the bars, like this is the nastiest chocolate I've <laughs> ever had, but it was cute and it seemed fun. And mm-hmm. that's not what I wanted at all because I, I've had that experience thousands of times of like oh the you know the table was beautiful when I went to the event and everything was beautiful and then I opened the box and by the second piece I was disgusted and so mm. I, that's the one thing that we don't want to happen um no, when it does not happen <laughs> yeah yeah that, that well, does that's, not that's, thank you <laughs> absolutely so Jessica you're also a photographer and I don't think that many people know this, but the images your chocolate is wrapped in are photographs taken by you. Yeah. Let's talk about that. How do you select the photos, you know, the brand selection, your packaging? Tell us about that. Yeah. So the photography actually is a, is built in in such a way. When I was in high school, I actually attended the Studio Museum of Harlem's uh, Expanding the Walls program. And it's a program that teaches you about Harlem and teaches you photography through the lens of the Harlem Renaissance photographer, James Vanderzee. Oh, wow. And uh, James Vanderzee's wife actually gave me my first camera. Oh, and my gosh. Yes, it, it, it was insane. And so in that program, you he specifically used to alter pictures. And that's how, like, I, I kind of think of him as the first Photoshop and he would like alter his pictures and um, customize them in such a way and play with color and play with all these things 
that really um, embellished photographs and and created a new way to experience photography. Mm-hmm. So I I've kind of kept that with me in my photography. And so when it comes to how we are selecting like what the images are and how we're altering them. Sometimes I may take an old, old, old photo of Harlem and, and kind of like reimagine it and re-envision it. It's about that that process. Like how is someone going to experience this chocolate? Like that's that's the end goal. I don't no one they're not opening a pair of shoes. They're not I don't want it to be that much of a disconnect, but something that's inviting mm-hmm. and also speaks to the the flavor and enhances the flavor, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you open up, you know and you or you get afraid of things that look ugly. Like you're always surprised, mm-hmm. you know, except if you have or except <laughs> if you're having a certain experience, right? Yes. Like if you go to the south and someone hands you a, a greasy brown paper bag. Mm-hmm. You actually know that that's about to be hitting. That's some yeah. good fried fish in that bag <laughs> because it's about the full experience, and it, mm-hmm. and it has that look conveys a certain uh, thing to to the person who is knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And so the the photography is about increasing the knowledge and increasing the experience, so that even if you have the knowledge, you still it enhances your chocolate experience. And if you, and you, if you don't have the knowledge, it's still enhancing your chocolate experience or just drawing you in. I wanted people to walk past the bars and be like, well, no, I got to try that. Cause that's how, that's how it used to happen to me. Yes. We, would, we would come away with, with hauls from these chocolate shows. Me and my mm-hmm. mother, we would have bags full. Mm-hmm. And, and it was about that, like, you know, like, oh, that box looks a little bit better than that box or that box, you know, maybe the table who it was cuter, we'd get more from. And, mm-hmm. and so that all these things kind of play their own role in that. Absolutely. And I mean, for everybody listening, the Harlem Chocolate Factory, Harlem Chocolate Factory is an experience. You know, you walk <laughs> in you can smell it you see like it's visually so beautiful you know between your wrapping and the truffles itself and then the taste of just like it's an it's a sensory overload almost and I love the way that you've incorporated all of these different ways to really really sew in Harlem in every piece of like fabric and texture in your store it's it's amazing Finally, we are reaching sort of the end, unfortunately. Um, So Jessica, talk to us about your connection to Harlem Park to Park. You were in our very first Harlem Local Vendor Program cohort in 2015. I remember I was there. (laughs) You stood out. You've done big things. So give us a little taste of that. So what what you what you don't know is that I did not have a business when I got into the <laughs> Harlem Park to Park. <laughs> I had a I had a business plan, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so here's the full, like, true, quick. 
quick version of that. I joined this business plan in December 2014 with the New York Public Library. Okay. And I, when I joined the business plan competition, I was going to I was basically, I told you, I like had just basically lost my job, quote unquote, the, you know, that business had shut down. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to be looking for a job for a little while. While I'm doing that, let me just see if this business idea that I had tried to start in college, but it didn't really work out. Um, let's just see if we can like flush out the idea. I joined the business plan competition, joined some business classes, and they were telling me about like, you know, the the general like you're building a business, try to find local programs that support. And I had found Harlem Park to Park as I was trying to like garner support for this idea that I could get into the hot bread kitchen incubator program. Again, wow. I had absolutely no products. I had these three bars that I was at home, like tinkering with every single day, tinkering, 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 Mm -hmm. but I had absolutely no products. So I ended up like (laughs) coercing everyone into believing that Harlem Chocolate Factory (laughs) is real. No, really what what happened is for the business like class, Mm -hmm. they asked me to like, if you believe in your business, Buy your, uh, buy your, your uh, domain, okay. and I brought the domain, and I built this like very plain website. Mm-hmm. I had like a a contact box, and then I went and I started to get requests for products on that page with wow. no wow. business. What? So people were looking when I was doing the business plan. Mm-hmm. People were actively looking for chocolate in Harlem. So oh I started to have to build a business that was just for this like fake business I was building for this business plan competition that in the business started forming kind of around me. Mm-hmm. And then I got into the Harlem Park to Park. Like I got into Harlem Park to Park mm-hmm. and I was like, okay. And then Whole Foods had <laughs> like reached out and was like, we think you'd be a great um like candidate for this local vendor program to like help you build up like your se- your sell sheets not knowing that i had absolutely like no business whatsoever but i wound up winning this that business plan competition for $15,000 oh my god and literally like 4 weeks later was that first local vendors program where we had to have like product. So when you uh-huh. met me and my eyes were like at the bottom of my face, cause I hadn't slept for two weeks oh. trying to get prepared for like these, the tests for whole foods and everything. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, yeah, of course you'll be in the first cohort. Like, you know, you, we had to do that like application to get in. Yeah. And it was insane. And everyone thought that it was like a legitimate Harlem chocolate factory was a real business. And it was formed in the two weeks of me trying to get into um, the, the vendors program. And so it was, it was just insane. And I had no way of fulfilling any of those orders, but we got them and it was, it was, uh, it was a major, major change. And there were just so much information in that first six months that helped us with 
you know, just setting up the business correct, right? Because it Mm. was for people who already had businesses, but because I was still in the process of building mine, I could be like simple things like, oh, you need UPCs. Like, I'm like, okay, let me go buy some UPCs tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And let me, let me figure, let me figure out if, um, if I can even get, you know, these things done. And I was building it every week while like every time we had our next like vendor program, Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna do that too. Figure out distribution. Okay. Wow. We're gonna figure out distribution. This (laughs) is incredible. Business. Like when I say it started in 2015, like Mm -hmm. I got my LLC in like the November of that year. (laughs) And like, Remember, like that first thing was in like September. So mm-hmm. I was in the back of those meetings, like, all right, well, whatever's happening. Um, wow. And it was just insane. So I went into my my first year of business with like in my in my original packet, like, mm-hmm. okay, we already have orders from Whole Foods, and uh, <laughs> I think after that, I like Sam Adams and. Columbia and um, I mean, this is like, that's incredible. You couldn't have told me that back then at all, you know, like very much looked like my life was together. And that's the goal of the entrepreneur, right? (laughs) No, it is. It is. Does Nicola know this story? I don't know because there was just so much like, oh, do you have this yet? Yeah, let me get, I'll get that to you. On um, on Friday, I can give me till Friday. I'll have that paperwork for you. <laughs> like even like you know like your your, your vendor's license and everything. I was like, oh, you know what? I need like two weeks. I I think I put it in this envelope and uh, yeah. Wow. Because <laughs> I really needed to get into hot bread to even make these products, and mm. I wound up like stalking them. And I was just like, I got into the vendors program. I need to be here to make these products. Yeah. And um, yeah. and they let me in because you you were supposed to be in business already for like a year before you got into Hot Bread Kitchen. <laughs> and I had all of like three days. <laughs> and so I was just like, please let me in, please. That's- that's so I don't know if Nicola knows like the full story of like how little of a business I had mm-hmm. at that time, mm-hmm. but uh, well, I, she will I mean, now. Well, she will now. But, she will now. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, uh, Nicola Evans Hendricks is our executive director of Harlem Park to Park. So when we say Nicola, hey Nicola, that's who we're talking about. Hey girl. Yeah. No, it was so. It was so. So insane. And, you know, and she's so, she's so fast paced. And so like, we're getting this done and, and this is what has to happen. I'm like, I'm going to meet all my deadlines. You know, if I have a deadline, it doesn't, it, it literally doesn't matter. Like, yes. if it's like, oh, you know, you got to meet me on the moon by January 1st. All right. Even if it's December 31st, I'm going to start walking. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to make sure it, it happens. Like that is the most important part of this process and being a part of that program and just let me know that there were, there's so many opportunities for businesses that um, embrace 
the their their cultural differences and embrace that aspect. The whole goal of the of the marketplace is to provide consumers with options. Like mm-hmm. outside of you know me developing these things, like these things, those things are personal to me. Mm-hmm. Why should anyone get this over another bar that's on a shelf? Well, it's because you get to also have this experience with me. Mm. And I think it's a, I realized why the business formed so rapidly about that uh, around me mm-hmm. is because there really is a vacuum of that we're seeing, you know, things getting sucked up into now, yes. but there's a vacuum of culturally uh, diverse product offerings. Like mm-hmm. there's, only so many times you can eat the same thing and now people having to be home they're all right like yeah like I know I like that but I want to try something (laughs) new and these are experiences that people want to have and we do a disservice to the consumer by not allowing them to make the decisions on on what options they want available like maybe they don't always want to buy the same thing Yes. Um, maybe they're willing to spend an extra dollar on something that has been handmade or yes. has had a hand in the process that yes. machines haven't done it from start to finish. You Absolutely. know, th- those are it's it's very important that that gets respected because that aspect that I was so like, I was like, all right, ain't nobody going to want this. They don't <laughs> think I'm crazy. It literally, I mean, I think I brought the domain in April of 2015. Mm-hmm. By November is when we were having our initial talks with Whole Foods. I mean, like, let's, you know, clap, it, snap, <laughs> come on, let's do it all. But those were, you know, and, that, and, that, and it wasn't because, it's not because I'm some, like, I have some type of outrageous connections or whatever. I mean, I am absolutely insane and and I and I stayed on everyone and I was just like, all right, you need me at the event, I'll be there early. And you know, I'm I'm not a, I'm not afraid of any kind of amount of hard work. Mm-hmm. But um it wasn't it wasn't something that was like, oh, somebody's like, all right, I'm gonna make this phone call for you. I didn't have anybody who could do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just shows you that consumers are looking for it and and they like it. And definitely, this, this company built itself. No, I definitely. Mean, I, I chimed in, and and my, and I have to definitely acknowledge my business partner, um, Aisha. Aisha, I called Aisha that that right when I got off the 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 bus when mm-hmm. I was initially talking about starting this business because I realized I'd never be able to do that mountain list of things by myself. Mm-hmm. And, and that was another very, very, very important way and reason we were able to do things so rapidly because it wasn't just me yes no you can't you know you can't do this work on your own um and just to put into context this harlem local vendor program columbia university and whole foods market helped us create this program so they are our partners they help uh, they have been just so supportive and have provided so many resources, so many opportunities to us. But, you know, I do want to talk about this. I, I want to talk about partnership and how important it is 
in the world of being an entrepreneur, you know, like I have a really tough time with the self-made, you know, kind of thing. Cause it takes a village to lift up everyone. And just the way in which Harlem Park to Park, Harlem Local Venture Program, Columbia Whole Foods Market, you know, we have all come together to make so much happen. And Nakoa talks about it all the time. And to go even, you know, back to you saying that when you started, you didn't have a um, a business plan. It's the, it's the life of an entrepreneur. You know, I think I came in as to Harlem Park, Park at like 21. I didn't know anything, you know, but I've seen people, you just learn as you go. You just have to do it. And if you, you know, you do it, you ask for the help and you're just steadfast in what you want. Uh, beautiful things happen and beautiful things have happened for you. And I, you know, I'm again, you started in 2015, three years later, you had a storefront. I mean, I was like, whoa, you know, storefront in New York City. Like, yeah. what in the world? It's 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 amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I'm so happy that we can be a part of this journey with you. And, you know, we continue to be a part of this journey with you. And it's just like, this is such a fulfilling moment for me. It's a Come full circle. circle. Come full mm-hmm. circle. A full circle moment. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. So what is next on your agenda for 2021? 2021 is the year of the scale. Um, we, at the end of the year, we made it to Oprah's favorite thing, um, what? for 2020. <laughs> and, uh, that was a definite game changer. We made mm. it on so many gift lists, this year it was oh absolutely insane uh-huh. um we were on about 15 or 20 different buzzfeed lists and uh chrissy yes. Teigen's gift guide and yes. i mean the there the grio uh just so many so many different lists uh, people 17 okay we can keep going no <laughs> uh, but it was going uh, it was yes. year, it was the it's the year that really like we worked, we worked 2020. Like we was like, you know, we're not going, if we're going to go down, we're not going down without a fight. And so 2021 is just about like, all right, clearly whether we want it to or not, this business wants to survive. And Mm. so we are in the process of putting that scale idea into practice. And, um, you know, I just want as many people to experience Harlem Chocolate Factory as, as possible. Um, and I want it to really, I want it to serve and show, uh, as an example of what happens when diversity isn't tokened nor, uh, ignored. Mm. Um, and how powerful it can be that people have the right to, to choices. Um, and I, I need to make myself available to those, to supply those choices. And so that's going to take a whole different set of work, but we are willing to do it (laughs) and, uh, we're, and we're making it happen. 
Well, Jessica, we are here with you. These listeners are here with you. And for my final question, if listeners want to connect with you, how can they reach you? Right. Uh, the the easiest, easiest, easiest way is uh, through our website, harlemchocolatefactory.com. We're on Instagram as the Harlem Chocolate Factory. I am going to be adding more uh, insights on our Twitter at Harlem Choco Fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is a great place. And also Facebook, Harlem Chocolate Factory. Um, you know, we're on all the social medias, um, and there, and I just definitely want to support even more, you know, entrepreneurs in, and going for what they've done. I've, I've talked to so many people who are just waiting for things to kind of like come together and not seeing that they may already have an opportunity in front of them. And so you just have to work it and you don't need an outrageous amount of money um, to make it happen. And um, yeah, so you can reach out to me. Um, And I'm I'm always on this phone. I got two of them. So (laughs) I'll get back. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. And it's at Harlem Chocolate Factory on Instagram too? Yep, at Harlem Chocolate Factory. Um, Yeah, Chocolate Factory, you just type Harlem Chocolate Factory and it'll pop <laughs> There's up. There's only one. <laughs> it's only one. It's know? only That's one. A good thing. That's a good yes. Thing. <laughs> oh my goodness. <sighs> Jessica, it's been such a pleasure to. Yeah, this is great. Yes, to talk I to you. I haven't thought about that vendor program in so many years. Like, that was, <laughs> such a, that was such a wild ride for three months, like, always on the edge of my seat. Like, hoping and praying like okay please don't order too much like people ordering it took me like all day to like make 10 and 30 bars and then people were like <laughs> okay well can I get 90 I'm like challenge it'll take me a week like, <laughs> well you you rose to the challenge I mean you're a force to be reckoned with and when you speak you speak with like just about the most important things with such conviction and people listen to you and Thank you for letting me moderate this discussion and letting me be the oh, one to speak you. with you. Um, thank you. Of course. No, thank you. So we're going to wrap this up. I want to thank Dondro Glover, another Harlem local vendor program alumni and the producer of this podcast. And thank you, New York Now, for sharing our voices with your community. And thank you, Jessica, so, so much. Oh, thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you for listening to the New York Now podcast. Make sure to tune in weekly for engaging and insightful conversations, touching on the most relevant topics facing our community today. Visit NewYorkNow.com to learn more about our market and how you can join in on the conversation.